Are you ready? Guys, you, you could have no idea, right, what it has taken for me to be here this morning. I have travelled over 20,000 miles to get here. Now, I don't know if you saw Pastor Chris's uh, map of Great Britain. Don't believe that. I mean, Manchester's in the wrong place. Not that that really matters. <laughs> London's in the wrong place. I, I, I don't know if you got a crayon to draw that. Do you have crayons in the United States? So, uh, yeah, don't ignore that. But uh, most of you would probably know, I know you call it a pond, but it is about 5,000 miles wide. But I've travelled 20,000 miles to get to this place this morning. I was only meant to be preaching on that screen up there. I wasn't meant to be in this room Pastor Chris spoke to me a couple of months back now, didn't he? Gave me the date, said, can you get me this, this message over? Can you record it? I'm like, no problem, Chris. We'll sort that out. We'll do that. And we're planning it. And then God just kind of intervened. I have not only travelled 20,000 miles, I've been through and in and stopped in, I think it's seven different time zones. Can someone tell me what, is it, is it 12 in the, in, at night at the moment? I, I literally do not know what time of day it is. I've been in that many different places. I've been in Southern Africa. I'm actually be, I've actually been extradited from my own country. I am currently not allowed back in my own country. I'm an Englishman, not allowed back in my own land. Can you believe that? So I've had to come to America because you guys will welcome me here. God bless the United States of America. Seriously, God bless. And God bless Texas. I love this. This state is incredible. I thought Britain had the, the monopoly on green and pleasant. We have a song that talks about Britain's green and pleasant land. And I landed in Houston and we drove back from Houston. And I'm like, this place is so green. I just come from Africa. So obviously everything looks a bit more green having come from Africa where it's arid and everything's brown. But I mean, your, your state is beautiful. They tell me it's because you've had a lot of rain recently, but I'm not completely convinced that you would take a lot of rain to really turn that around. So it looks incredible here, but God bless your church as well. 100%, I've got to say that. God bless your pastors as well. Your worship team, what incredible worship we've had this morning. Absolutely awesome in the first meeting as well. So prophetic and just awe-inspiring. So if you don't normally make that, let me... I've not been asked to do this, by the way. Chris will vouch for that. But try and make it to that first meeting as well. Incredible and absolutely awesome. And just a different feeling as well. It's a different meeting. It's one where you can just rest and be with the Lord and just spend that time, that anointing time, see the Spirit move and just be a part of that. So that was awesome and incredible. you got a great church. Really, really blessed to be here. But the journey has been unbelievable. And I'm not saying this joking now. I've faced demons to be here. In Africa, there was, there was a demonic presence. I went there, I've been there for about four weeks now. Um, and I went there on a, on a family mission. It was a mission. It was a mission to my own family, though, who were actually in a country called Botswana, which is just north of southern Africa. I've not stepped foot 
in South Africa in the last 20 days or 30 days or whatever. So you should know that because it would be illegal for me to be here if I had. I couldn't come here if I'd been in South Africa. And hence the amount of miles I had to travel to get here to avoid setting foot in South Africa. But anyway, that's a different story. But yeah, faced demons and demonic presences in some of the villages over there, which was, which was really something. At one point, so I've left my, my wife my beautiful wife of 22 plus years back in the United Kingdom. We've never spent more than a few days apart in our entire marriage. So to be apart this long, if I get emotional, forgive me. I, it's, I'm, this, is, this is serious. I, 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 you know, when you say homesick, I've realised why they say homesick, because it makes you feel sick actually makes you feel sick. So anyway, but pray for my family. I'd really appreciate that. I've left my five incredible... Can we get the picture up? Thank you. The, the two boys either side of me, are, that's my twin, they're twin boys. They don't, I know they don't look like twins, but they are twins, I promise you. I was there at the birth. They, <laughs> uh, 22 years of marriage, five kids. That was their 18th birthday. This was in London, in Soho, in the, uh, Chinatown in London. My youngest there on the right, my eldest next to her in the blue dress, and my middle daughter there as well, and my wife on the left. So they're wonderful. They're, I'll get it in the neck for showing that picture now off them, so forgive me for that. Um, I've, had to, I've had to leave all of them behind. I've had to leave my own church behind. They've been without me for about the last five years. But fortunately, my wife and myself, we run it together and she's an incredible pastor as well. She does an incredible job there. So her and our leadership team are holding the fort back there and fighting COVID and all of that stuff that's going on and all of those different things. But there was actually one moment that really summed it up and it was towards the end of the time in Africa. And, and you know, the demons, you don't always necessarily see face to face. You just see the effects of, of what they do and the oppression that they cause and the problems that they cause. And there was a moment and, and it was really, you could see that there was a, some kind of, no matter what we did, there was a, a force, a negative force trying to get in between myself and my wife as we were communicating, all of those things. And we were on FaceTime and it had been so difficult and there'd been some sketchy characters coming over. I'm sat in a car that I was using at the time and, and everything was just, it was all just going weird. And then all of a sudden my wife she was saying are you still there you're still there well this was kind of normal when you're over in Africa trying to communicate and then eventually when she came back on which took about half an hour later she said you will not believe what just happened she said you you're on the image on the FaceTime video she said and all of a sudden your face went and the screen went black and then all of a sudden a hooded this I tell you no lie my wife will vouch for this a hooded image appeared a man all in black with, with red, a cape on and red inside the cape, like something you would see off some kind of demonic film. And this thing just turned and kind of looked at the camera and, and we knew in that moment, I'd prayed maybe half an hour, an hour earlier and the prayer had gone, Lord, we, this, something's going on here and, and we need an intervention from you that will step in and show us something that we could not see that will change this and that will just fix this situation. And the minute we saw that, or the minute she saw that and related to me, we knew what we were fighting with and we, we knew what was going on and the influence that was going on and we dealt with that and we, and we did all of those things. But I say all of this because I believe that God has brought me here this morning 
to share a message with you. When I think back myself and I think what I've been through to get here, to come here, and I didn't just come out of England to come here as a family mission as well, but God intervened right at the last minute to bring me to this place. I didn't even know when I was in Africa I was going to be coming here to speak. I still thought I was going to be videoing this message, but God intervened and brought this about. So I believe that he wants to speak to you this morning and I'm here to serve you and to speak to you and to encourage you really in some of the things that God has done in my life. Some of you dream of greatness. And I don't mean, sometimes as a Christian, that phrase can be a little bit, whoa, hold on, greatness. We're not meant to be great. We're meant to be humble and all of that kind of stuff. But some of us dream of greatness for God of doing something significant, that our lives may mean something, that we may be able to, to get to the end of our life without any regrets, knowing, like Paul said, that we ran the race, that we, we stayed in our lane and we did everything that God had for us. But how many of us ever fully achieve that and ever fully have that? And some of us think that it means we've got to be, have this incredible faith. We've got to have an incredible charisma. We've got to have some incredible gift about us. We've got to be able to play the guitar like these guys, sing like these guys, preach like Pastor Chris, and just be this awesome person that can do incredible, incredible things. But it's not that. It's more than that. It's less than that even, because those things aren't as significant Take preaching, for example. Some preachers think, some people think that to get up here and preach, you've got to show how incredible you are and how awesome you are, when really all you want to know is how much I know about you and what God's shown me about you and where you're at and how difficult life is for you so that I can give you something of worth that's going to help you through your life. You don't care how good I am. You just care what God wants to speak to you this morning. Some preachers think it's about impressing and being, being like knowing the scriptures, knowing the word, having this great charisma, when really all what you want me to do is to understand you and where you're at, give you something. Some of you think it's about showing you how well I'm doing and how awesome I am when really you just want me to show you how to do well yourself and what God's shown me and done for me. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says this. He says, God's desire was that you would not be or is that you would not be outwitted by Satan because we're not ignorant of his methods. In other words, we're so wise to Satan and what he's up to and what he's doing that he doesn't outwit us that he isn't able to bring us down, that he isn't able to hold us back from our destiny and the God-given calling that he's got for us. And how incredible to see so many young people in here this morning. How many of you want that life for God to be able to do something of worth with? That's why you're here, isn't it? You're not just filling time because it's Sunday morning. In the book of Matthew, incredible really, I was thinking about it at the men's breakfast yesterday morning. It says this in Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, now this is a scripture. This is a scripture that, that it can be confusing, that can be difficult to understand. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
That verse will mess with your theology right there. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for some years and you've heard all the different stuff and the things that are said. Let's just read that again. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How on earth does that make sense? What a verse that Jesus, our Lord, could be led into into being tempted by the devil, by God who doesn't tempt us. How? Why? So in this sermon, I want to show you why the problems that we face are not an indication of how well we are doing in life, in our Christian walk. I want to show you what it is, uh, how these problems and why these problems appear and come to us. And I want to also show you what to focus on when you're going through the midst of problems and just as importantly, what not to focus on. My life has been full of problems I think it's probably good for you to hear a little bit about my life and who I am. Most of you probably don't know me that well. I was uh, was born in Liverpool, as we say. By the age of four, my dad abandoned me. Never saw him since. In fact, when I finally found him in my mid-40s, I discovered he'd actually died a few years earlier. So it had always been a dream to meet him, just to find him, you know. And and, and you kind of, speaking to some of you here, you can see... As, a, as, as some of you who've got English ancestry, maybe even from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there's a feeling of wanting to know, you know, what, what, where did my ancestors come from in England? I've heard that from some of you. So, you, you know, I'm sure you can understand that desire to meet my dad and to, and to know him. My mum was... And, and in the greatest of respect, the only way I can describe this, to be completely honest, is my mum is like one of those Disney characters that, that really oppresses. You know, you've got the, the, the horrible Disney character and they just oppress. If I told you some of the things that have gone on in my life through my mother, you would not believe them. You would think I was exaggerating. You would think, surely that cannot be the case. Probably the worst thing that she ever did, though, and in one sense, I don't think, she, you know, she wasn't necessarily being nasty or wicked when she did this. But as a, a small child was to tell me that, son, there is no God. All, all that stuff's rubbish. There, there is no God. When you die, that's just it. There's nothing. As a child, I, that was like being, being told the, the worst kind of nightmare you could ever, ever imagine. So I didn't grow up as a Christian, didn't grow up as a believer, kind of took on those values of my mum and, and I had a stepfather by this point and it was, it was quite an oppressive upbringing. In fact, I used to dread coming home from school. School for me was a, a, a place to be because I was away from the home environment and, and how bad that was. And I know maybe some of you in here might have had similar difficult childhoods. Not everyone's childhood's perfect, is it? And sometimes that can be difficult to think about God as a father when your own experiences of your own parents has been so, so difficult. But in my early 20s, uh, by this point, I'd, I'd 
I'd well left home, first opportunity I could, and I was just trying to make my own way in life. And so drugs and things like that had become a big thing. I was actually academically really, really clever. I used to finish top of my year. I ended up with a first class honours degree in maths, working as a chartered accountant and different things like that for Pricewaterhousecoopers. So clever and intelligent, but just went off the rails. And in the midst of that being off the rails, God just revealed himself to me in a miraculous way. And the best way I could describe it is I, 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 didn't, I wasn't in a church or anything like that. There was just someone who, who believed in God talking to me. And it was as if I'd lived my whole life with a veil over my eyes and someone, God, had just gone, there you go, son. Open your eyes and I'll show you. I'll show you what, 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 what's really out there. I'll show you the things that you cannot see. I, I was so overwhelmed. I remember the next morning waking up thinking, oh my goodness, is this going to go? Is this suddenly not going to be there? And eventually I, I connected with a church. It took some time. and, and I, I, I've, this, In fact, the church that I connected with is the church that I now pastor. I've never been in any other church. Went there and went along and, and just served. And me and my wife, we've done every kind of ministry there is. I've played drums, guitar badly, you know. <laughs> Kids work, you name it, we've kind of all done it. You know what it's like in church. Some of you, if you've been here for any length of time, you kind of get involved in all of these different things. We've done all of that and, and, and you know, just, yeah. I had all the difficulties, all the hurts. Anyone been hurt in church? I don't reckon you've been hurt as much as me. I'm going to go out and say that. I don't reckon you have. Now you might say the same to me and that's cool. Been hurt as much as me. I had sort of hurt in church, absolutely awful. You probably have, some of you may have done. But the point of me saying that is, don't stay away from church because you've been hurt. Don't, how does that work? That's like having a bad meal and saying, I'm never going to eat again. That's like going to the doctor and getting a wrong diagnosis and saying, I'm never going to a doctor again. I mean, that, that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And really all you're doing is hurting yourself probably trying to hurt God and probably trying to hurt the church and all them different things. But you know, you heard the saying about bitterness. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person will get sick. It's the same idea. Don't stay away from church because you've been hurt. Found God, wife and family. You've already seen my wife and my kids and stuff like that. Became a pastor in, in, in the church that I'm running. That was about eight years or so ago. And just... Yeah, God's done incredible things. Probably the most recent incredible thing, we were, our church was gifted a, a, a couple of years ago now, maybe two or three years ago, a half million pound building. Just, just giving it to us. I mean, that was just incredible. We were like, wow. We've been paying thousands a month rent in a theatre in the sense of the, the, it's, a, it's a town where we are, but there's a quarter of a million people. So that gives you an idea. It's city stat size really, but it's called a town. And so we've been, spending a fortune, renting that. And so God's just done incredible things and he continues to do incredible things in our church. And that's just absolutely brilliant. But if you know anything of the Bible and you've read it, then you'll know from Paul that if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be in ministry, then you're going to face oppression at times. You're going to face those challenges. You're going to, challenges. You're going to face those obstacles and those difficulties. They come with the territory. I'm not prophesying misery and difficulties and stuff like that, but they come with the territory. And them difficulties can be really, really hard. So what do the problems mean? If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Romans 4 verse 
8. This is David speaking. And it's just after he sinned. Some of you will know he committed adultery. One of, the, one of the greatest men of God and he committed adultery. I'm not saying that's okay to commit adultery, guys. Let's not get into that. Let's not do that, okay? Let's be faithful to our wives, okay? But David committed adultery. I mean, in, in religious church, he's the guy that everyone looks down on and talks about and points fingers at. Hey, you know what he did? What kind of a Christian is he? Yeah? Romans 4 verse 8 Paul says of him, he says, blessed is the man and he's talking, he's, he's really quoting David from Psalm 32. And he says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So who is that man? Because it wasn't David. Though David said that, David wasn't the man who was blessed that the Lord would not count his sin because David, if you know the story, David suffered for his sin. He paid a great and heavy price for his sin. So David, prophetically, I'm sure, and I believe he was talking about himself, but he certainly paid the price for his sin and God punished him, God, for his sin. So who is he talking about? Who is this man that is blessed that God will not count his sin against him? Who is this person? Who are they? Who are they? Is it more than one? Who is it? He was talking about you. He was talking about you. If you would name the name of Jesus and take on the identity of Christ and be a Christian then your sin is not counted against you. Wow, that will mess with your theology a little bit perhaps. Your sin is not counted against you. And, and if you're kind of arguing in your head with that and thinking, I'm not too sure about that, I don't know whether he's right on that. Who, well, who is he talking about? What, is this some special man somewhere? Maybe he's not even been born yet. Maybe he's, he's been born and he's died now and he lived this incredible life. Just this one man somewhere that his sin was never counted against him and it's just one, one single person. No, no, no. He's on about believers, Christians, men and women of faith who have named the name of Jesus. Our sin is not counted against us. Now again, I know that sounds like some, and, and that sounds like dangerous teaching that, doesn't it? That sounds like, hey, you can just go and do what you want because your sin ain't going to be counted against you. Because you don't know me, I need to clarify, that is not what I'm saying. Yeah? That is not what I'm saying. Righteousness counts. Living a godly life counts but we don't live a godly life to be godly we give a God, we live a godly life because we're so grateful of what God's done for us that we just want to please him and we want to do what pleases him and a godly life a righteous life pleases him we're living a godly and a righteous life not because we have to in one sense although that sounds wrong as I'm saying it but we're doing it because God's already made us righteous He's already done that for us. He's made us. You are righteous. Once you name the name of Jesus, you might not be holy yet, but you are righteous. 
He was talking about Jesus. But then by association, he's talking about you and me. Because if you've named the name of Jesus, if you've become a Christian, then you are fully associated with Christ. So all the benefits, all of those things are yours. They're yours and mine to take a hold of. And Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. He was led there to be tempted. The perfect, sinless Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted. It's the great, great promise. Jesus overcame Satan. He overcame the enemy. He paid the price so that we don't have to. We can actually live in that victory. And what an incredible price he paid. It wasn't just in the wilderness, was it? It was his whole ministry. It was the, 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 the things that people were saying about him, the names that they called him. And, what, and ultimately what he did at the end, when he, he suffered and he was beaten and he was bruised and eventually he was crucified. He paid the price for us. So if my sins are not all forgiven and I'm paying the price for my sins, then I'm being punished and what Jesus did was a waste of time and it means nothing. And the Bible's a lie. The Bible is a lie. Well, I don't believe that. 100% I don't believe that. I believe that all my sins are forgiven. And if God counts one single sin against me or against you, then his word isn't true. His word isn't true. Just one single sin. So why are we living as if it is? Because we've been lied to. Because we've been lied to. Psalm 27 verse 10, David said this. He said, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. It's quite a meaningful verse that for me. But the Lord will take me in. The Lord, you are his and he is yours. So the reason that we face problems and we face difficulties and we face trials and we face all kinds of awful things is because, not because God is tempting us, when it said that God, the Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, it was to be tempted by the devil, not to be tempted by God. And the difficulties we face, the problems we face are of the enemy. God isn't sending all these horrible, terrible things to you because he hates you or because he's punishing you or because you've sinned and he's wanting to, to punish you for your sin because otherwise these things can't make sense. But actually Satan is taking advantage of the fall and the situation that we found ourselves in and he is tempting you and he is, is causing all of these problems. But God's going to make it right and we'll get to that in a minute. So how and why? I said I'd tell you how and why. If we turn to Psalm 43, listen to this. I love this. Vindicate me, O God and defend my cause against an ungodly people. 
Who's accusing you? Who is it that's accusing you? Where are the accusations come from? Do you know what the word Satan actually means? The accuser. That's his primary purpose here on earth, or his primary thing that he does is to accuse you, the brethren, the brothers and sisters of Christ. His focus, his goal is to accuse us against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Deliver me. You know that, that vindicate me? What it means is it means for God to go into, into your defence like a barrister, like an attorney, to stand there and defend your cause and who you are. Against who? Against the accuser. Against Satan. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected, we, rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Why? Because of the oppression of the enemy. God is not oppressing you. It is Satan. If you're feeling oppression, if you're going through oppression, it is not God. It is not because of the things you've done or any of those things. It is Satan doing it, taking advantage of situations. It is never God doing this. But it goes on and David says this, send out your light and your truth. Think about that for a moment, your light and your truth. It is the truth that will set you free. It is the truth that will set you free. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to your altar of, uh, to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy and I will praise you, O God. Life is not happening to you. It is happening for you. It is not happening to you. It is happening for you. Because for the Christian, all of these things will be turned around for the good of those who are called according to the name of Christ. Amen. Life is happening for you. God will use these situations. God will use what the enemy's doing for you. Not to you, but for you. So what do we focus on? How do we kind of, you know, how do we approach this? Do we focus on our sin? Do we make sure we clear that out? Because I've already said, I believe we should live righteous lives. Amen. Amen. I, believe, I don't believe we should be going out and just willfully sinning. Hey, we will sin. We will sin. Do we know that? We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. We're going to get it wrong. So the idea of a completely sinless, spotless life where we never put a foot wrong is impossible. That's never going to happen. We know that, yeah? So it can't be that never making a mistake, never sinning is, is okay. That's the, you know, sorry, is the goal. But it is certainly what we're aiming for, yeah? A bit like me on the shooting range yesterday. I, I didn't hit it all the time. I praise God I did hit it once or twice. But, but you know what? It's the most basic teaching in Christianity. I heard once a good friend and he, he meant well. And, and if he's listening, you know, forgive me. You ever heard own your sin? Own your failures, ever heard anyone say that? Own your sin, own your failures. You know, own it. Take responsibility for it, all of that kind of stuff. Take responsibility, perhaps. Own it. Let me tell you, right? The worst thing you could ever do 
is own your sin. Own your failures. What's that going to get you? If you own your sin, if you own your failures, if you own all those terrible characteristics that you have, well, I'm just this and I'm just that. Anyone said that? Well, I'm just this and I'm just that. You're speaking it out. You're confessing it. I think it's already been said. I've heard it already said this morning. You know, the, the, the worst person is, is ourselves. We're the ones that prophesy the most negative things over our lives. We're the ones that are, are doing it. And absolutely we are. Do not, do not own your sin. When you fail, when you mess up, when you sin, when you do wrong, don't own it, own Christ. Don't focus on the negative, focus on the good. Grab a hold of him and own him. Let, let him and what he says about you be yours. Let it be you, let it be yours, let it be who you are. Own him because when you own him, when you own him, then he will take you from strength to strength. Right, Ephesians 2, uh, a few verses here. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 4 onwards. But God, being rich in mercy. Let's play them twinkly bits on the keyboard. And we said, I said I'd say that. I give him free warning. <laughs> I just love saying that. Can we play them twinkly bits? Don't you love them twinkly bits on the keyboard? It just, you know, it brings that anointing in, doesn't it? You know what I mean? It doesn't sound the same without the twinkly bits playing. We can't feel like we kind of need them for this bit, you know? But God, I'm trying to hold off for them twinkly bits to start. Hint, hint. Being of the great... <laughs> Come on, get a grip. Take, take a moment. Right. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Listen to that. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, not when we'd reached perfection, not when we'd conquered sin, not when we'd suddenly become good and great and all of those things, but actually when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. It is by grace, not by works. And raised us up with him and seated us with him. He sat, we sat down. Christ right now, he sat, he sat down. He's not up there working them to do loads of things and stuff like that. He is sat down. He's just sat there. And it says, he seats us. He raises us up to sit there. Maybe not quite at his right hand, perhaps, but you get the idea. We're sat there with him. You know that place of being sat? Kind of feels like I'm done now, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, sermon's done, I'm, I'm relaxed, it's finished, isn't it? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, this is why 
This is why all of this makes sense because this is why we, we can have all of our sins forgiven because what God's doing through that is He's showing His immeasurable grace. He's using you to demonstrate His great love. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship wow We're, you are his workmanship you're his workmanship you ever gone and seen someone who's crafted something with wood and it just looks incredible and you're like, you're in awe of it. You're like, wow, what a piece of work that is. That looks awesome. That's you. And God's done that. Hebrews 10, 12, Jesus sat down because the job was finished. Amen. Amen. Thanks very much for your time, guys.